All right, Rail Split Nash, we are back with another episode, and we got a very special guest that's going to help you figure out which Lincoln book to read next. Hopefully things are going well for you. Hopefully you're getting used to the cold weather here. Um, so I know you're probably out on your morning jog listening to us. So we are back. Um, I'm going to kick it over to Boyce. How are you doing tonight? I am doing well, Nick. Uh, it's good to be back, and I'm excited for tonight's show. All right, excellent. We got rail splitter Mary, who is not in her usual place. You are on the road, Mary. Where are you coming from? I am. I'm in Marysville, Michigan right now. Um, my husband had to work this weekend, so I decided to take a weekend away and go check out new exhibit at a museum in the area. And I'm very happy to be here. I'm very excited about this episode. And thank you to Nick for recording tonight. Yeah, so if the audio quality is bad... It is not my fault. It is Mary's fault for putting me in this scenario. Um, and, as the, and as the typical Canadian, I will say that I'm sorry for that. And, and we I apologize for everything. And I will take full advantage of that as a typical American. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then our fourth rail splitter for the evening is Dr. Tom Pete. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. It is absolutely fabulous to be here and i'm so honored to be able to meet the three of you and uh talk to the rail split nation and uh i would first i want to start off with what i call the uh, millard fillmore first strike oh all right so and this comes from a, this comes from a speech by charles sumner november the 6th 1850 in faneuil hall in boston And here's what Charles Sumner had to say about our illustrious president. He said, Into the immortal catalog of national crimes, the Fugitive Slave Act has now passed, drawing by inexorable necessity its authors also, and chiefly Millard Fillmore, who as President of the United States set his name to the bill and breathed into it that final breath without which it could bear no life. Other presidents may be forgotten, But the name signed to the Fugitive Slave Bill can never be forgotten. There are depths of infamy as there are heights of fame. I regret to say what I must, but truth compels me. Better for him had he never been born. Whoa. Wow. That is some serious shade. That's some major shade. Uh, It is some major shade and well-deserved in my opinion. (laughs) That is the most truthful Thing I've ever heard a politician say. <laughs> so take that, Fillmore fans. That's right. Um, Dr. Tom Pete, he is with us uh, because he is a Lincoln fan and he has put together quite the essential annotated bibliography titled Reading Lincoln for all of you to grab who are interested in Lincoln. Um, but before we dive into this massive project, why don't you kind of fill us in a little bit of background on when you fell in love with Lincoln and why you fell in love with Lincoln? I fell in Lincoln. Uh, those of you who are so much younger than I am, I celebrated the centennial of the Civil War in 1960 through 1965. And uh, I just fell in love with every aspect of it, including Abraham Lincoln. And then I uh, went on a little bit of a hiatus. And I didn't pick Lincoln. I stayed uh, very much an aficionado of the Civil War and reading about the Civil War. But I didn't pick up Lincoln again till graduate school. And uh, my advisor, uh, Dr. Raymond H. Musig, held a series of seminars in graduate school. They were called the 925.28 Social Studies Seminars. And he picked fiction, and he also did biographies. And Ray had uh, quite the sense of what great books were. So in the very first seminar I had with Ray, it was uh, fiction, and we picked up Michael Shara's Killer Angels. 
And that brought me back to Gettysburg. And my dad had taken our family to Gettysburg in 1963. And uh, you guys will be able to see this. And it's a good bit of Lincoln News. Here is my original Gettysburg address on parchment copy. It's 56 years old. <laughs> That's awesome. And I have kept it all. I gave it to my son, Alex. And I said, Alex, do you know where my Gettysburg address is? And he looked it up and found it. And uh, there's an interesting story about those that we can talk about later on Lincoln News. Uh, and then Ray picked up in a later seminar on biographies. We did uh, Stephen B. Oates, believe it or not, with Malice Toward None. Aww. was the book that we picked up. And that's when I began to get real serious about reading Lincoln again. And around 2010, my co-author and I, and I should point out my co-author Dave is a, a great guy. He is a uh, extreme right-wing guy. I'm definitely a left-wing guy. And so we agreed between the two of us, I won't listen to his political BS, and he doesn't have to listen to any of my political <laughs> BS. And we both love Lincoln. And we realized about 2010 that uh, we'd both been reading Lincoln for a number of years. And uh, let's put together, why don't we, we've read enough books between the two of us, let's do a presentation for the National Council of Social Studies. And between the two of us, Dave and I have done... 16 national presentations so we put in a proposal on reading lincoln and we prepared a booklet uh that we reviewed 125 different books and then we did a set a series of ready to use classroom lessons on reading on reading lincoln on abraham lincoln on presidents and uh, we presented that in uh, november of 2012 in washington dc and we had over a hundred people that attended. I put so I put together just about wore our school Xerox machine out, put together a beautiful little booklet. I made a hundred copies of it. We gave all a hundred away at the session, and I ended up mailing fifty more after I got back at a fair expense in postage, I might say, uh, when we got back. And so we just kept reading and writing reviews and. Uh, there's that's the that's the first thread the second thread is when i retired and my my phd advisor had been talking about writing the great novel for i'd listened to this for like 20 years and i and i thought man am i glad i have nothing to do with that novel because novels are really not my forte uh but when i retired my better half georgia said tom if you don't have he had um parkinson's disease and it was first diagnosed about 1999. I retired in 2012. And um, I told Ray, hey, I got a little time on my hands. Uh, let's finish the novel. I had no idea what I was getting into. And it <laughs> consumed the next two and a half years of my life as I took six bankers boxes worth of printouts that he had created on a computer, but he'd given the computer away. So I had no electronic files. So I, scan I looked, created piles of like printouts, six bankers boxes worth, all over his office, and I discovered in one box a, a a folder with labels, and the labels were the road he couldn't remember the roadmap. The labels were the roadmap to the novel that he had created. So two and a half years later, we uh, self-published his novel, Better Late Than Never, on Create Space, and um, that's when I realized, wait a minute, if I can do self-publishing on Create Space for Ray's novel, why can't I put our book in print? And I didn't tell Dave I was doing this until I handed him a proof copy in 2014. I said, hey, Dave, what do you think about this? And he goes, oh, my God. So, uh, But it was a lot of work. And uh, so that was our first edition. And we just kept reading and writing reviews and did a second edition. Uh, so the first edition was, I forget, about 300 and some pages. Second edition was 504. The uh, third edition is right now about 720 pages. And what I did, Dave thought the third edition was the last edition, but since I control the manuscript, I didn't tell him. I've kept writing and reading and adding reviews. So Dave says, you know, they keep increasing the price on Amazon. I go, yeah, damn Amazon, you know. <laughs> But he hasn't 
noticed that the book's like 60 pages longer than when we first introduced it. <laughs> so that's why um, we've got reviews that uh, when I do the next 20 reviews will be up to uh, 2019. And I have to thank Mary and the Rail Splitters. Five of those books and the next 20 are books that were mentioned on the Rail Splitters. So like uh, uh-huh. Fierce Patriot, I had, you know, I'd read some books on Sherman and, of course, we're not far away from Sherman's birthplace in Lancaster, but I'd never read Fierce Patriot. So I picked it up and read it and uh, really like it. And that's going to go in our collateral Lincoln chapter. Of course, we got Young Lincoln that you guys just had Jen Jacoby on. And I thought, I'm always looking for books for young people. David Kent's book is just for young people and about anybody it had it fits in with adults it fits in with young people you know i have a second grader at our church that that i gave him a copy and he could understand it now he's a pretty bright kid but he loved he says oh i love the graphics so david really hit a home run with uh uh his lincoln book just a fabulous book oh, that's so awesome. so that's kind of the basis of how the book came into being and uh so I've learned a lot about Lincoln in the in the process, um, and I get Jeremy's point that you know there are historians and then there are people. You know, I'm an expert in Lincoln. I do have a degree, a straight up master's in history, uh, and there is some orig- original research, but the original research falls into tracking my great great grandfather Henry M. Pete, who fought in Company F of the 81st Illinois Volunteer Infantry. From Carbondale. So you'll notice in Collateral Lincoln, there are some books that have to do with the 95th Illinois, the 81st Illinois, with a guy by the name of John Alexander Logan, uh, for which the college is named. And that came about because of my uncle. My uncle's name was Edward John Logan Pete II, and he had no idea who the John Logan was and what the significance of John Logan was. He just hated his name until I told him. I said, you have no idea who John Logan was, do you, Uncle Ed? And when we sorted that out, he says, you know what? I don't feel so bad about my name now. That That is That's outstanding. Awesome. <laughs> so kind of take us through the process. You, you start a book. How do you go about writing the review? Do you have a certain method that you use? Um what I do is um, I look for books that are interesting to me. And of course, um, the older the older Lincoln books are kind of tough to read. Uh, a lot of them are just hagiographies. They, they 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 are not critical in any sense. They'll take episodes of Lincoln's life that we now understand a lot more about, such as um, the incident with with his near duel with James Shields and the broadswords. And a lot of the the early Lincoln uh, biographies will say, well, that was just a practical joke on Lincoln's part to choose broadswords. And I don't understand why he was so embarrassed to talk about it later. Well, it was a supremely embarrassing episode in Lincoln's life, and he chose broadswords because Shields was much shorter than he was, and Lincoln had a longer reach. So if Shields was so stupid as to actually get into the duel, Lincoln probably would have sliced him up pretty good and then felt badly about it for the rest. He was so embarrassed about that. He said, look, to one gentleman, if you want to remain my friend, you will never bring this subject up again. And so so those types, so, so you see a whole different perspective, which comes uh, mostly after 1946 or 47, when the Robert Lincoln papers were finally released, so that everybody could have a common source of information. So, more contemporary, such as Benjamin Thomas's Lincoln, were much better than the almost any previous biography that was written. But you read the earlier ones to gain that. So, what I do is, as I read, I will either stick tabs in the book at a fray, at something that I see that catches my attention, or I will stick a piece of paper in and have a running slip where I write notes on page such and such, talk about this, page such and such, talk about that. And so by the end of the book, I have an outline of the review that I want to write. And so since 2010, I've read about 525 books on Lincoln. Wow. So I was always a, I was always a fast reader. And as an AP government teacher, I had to be because um, I would assign my students 65 writing activities every year. And I had as many as 130 
advanced placement government students. So you do the math, 65 times 130. And so I had to be able to read fast. So I would read maybe 40 or 50 books in a summer when I could just read for the delight of reading. And then I would bring those books into class uh, to start the next year off and say, this is what I was reading this summer. What have you been reading? <laughs> yeah, that's, and I'm the exact opposite. Like I'm such a slow reader and then I make the mistake of like, I've got five books on the go and uh-huh. it's whatever well, mood th- I'm in. I read you know. multiple books at the same time. Always. I have like one by the bathtub in case I got some mm-hmm. time to relax one there, one in the living room. Right now we're in an apartment because we're having a house built. So I have one in the living room, one in the bedroom, one in the bathroom, and uh, then I sometimes carry one with me. So, Yeah, I always carry a book with me. Yeah. That was the thing that Jackie Kennedy said about John was that he always had a book with him, always had a book with him. And uh, so that was one of the things when we presented our, our Reading Lincoln uh, lessons about presidents that read – how supremely important it was that John Kennedy was a reader because had he not read the book, The Guns of August, we probably would have gotten into a war with Cuba. But he said, look, this is the mistake the European nations made. I'm not going to repeat that mistake. And he didn't. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, didn't he literally cite that book? It like, yes, he did. He yeah, Barbara yeah. Tuckman's The Guns of August. And it's a brilliant book. And I don't think she was an... Uh, certified historian, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, she just read and wrote mm-hmm. for the love of history, which is a, which is a great thing to do. Mm-hmm. Boys, you got a question? Um, so as you're kind of preparing these, uh, well, one, I think I, the one thing I like most about your work is like the, the whole Lincoln field is so crowded with, historians and you know enthusiasts and like right. it's difficult to um find something that hasn't been done and i think you were able to do that um to, to really create something useful for so many people and, and of course if you're listening to the show you'll find this useful um because i oftentimes i'm like you know we're, we're i'm a busy person a lot of us are like i don't have time to start a book and have it kind of be a stinker you know, yeah, or like we're not what I thought it was going to be, or or whatever else. So like, you you take a lot of the legwork out of like vetting a, a book that um, takes some time. Um, so thank you, I guess is what I, what I want to <laughs> say first and foremost because I think that this is a very very much a, a gap or something missing in the whole Lincoln world, um, which is which is something because it's a crowded crowded world of people yeah. who are contributing to to what what there is out there so um so what do you do because like most of your i mean all of the reviews are informative they're succinct um how do you you know take something you love so much like the subject of lincoln and take a you know m- many of these books are five seven hundred pages themselves how do you make a succinct review because i think that like i just kind of went to the books i've read just to kind of see how it works i'm like that's a really well written like so concise but like i that's what I think of that book. Like I've got, you got it. Um, is that challenging? Did you have to get easier over time? How did that work for you? Um, it does get easy over time. The bigger your Lincoln database is, the more you see the stories that you already know, and it gives you some a context to put a review in. And and that was our our whole purpose was to create a useful tool for readers to say, okay, this is a preliminary overview. Um, w- it, is this an area that you might be interested in? And sometimes you'll get a sense like um, you'll notice I wasn't a big fan of Bill O'Reilly's Killing Lincoln. Mm. Um, and, I w- and I wasn't a big fan because in the first chapter, to, I find three glaring errors that stand right out. The first one is talking about Andrew Johnson's drunken speech in the Senate. <laughs> That's absolutely true. He did do that. But Bill O'Reilly had the crowd outside listening to Andrew Johnson's drunken speech, and that simply wasn't true. And then uh, O'Reilly got the order in which the oath was taken and the inaugural address was delivered. At the time, the uh, inaugural address was first and then the oath was taken. 
but he had Lincoln taking the oath and then delivering the brilliant uh, second inaugural address that was the subject of uh, Ronald White's book that you guys so wonderfully reviewed. Uh, so that was backwards. And then he talks about, in the same chapter, um, Robert E. Lee at Appomattox saying goodbye to Ulysses S. Grant, <laughs> never to see him again. <laughs> Except for the very next day when they got together to iron out some of the things in the surrender document. And, oh, when Grant was president and Lee came to see him. But for those other things, you know, except for those two things that were very important, he never saw Lee. Uh, Lee never saw Grant again. That stuff just annoys me to no end. Uh, if you're a historian or a history buff, you want your history to be correct. So there's a reason that the National Park Service does not sell Bill O'Reilly's Killing Lincoln in Ford's Theater, <laughs> and nor should they. Now, I was kind of kind in the end in saying, well, you know, if this does inspire one of his readers to actually read a real historian, then then he's done a good thing and he's done everybody. He's done Lincoln readers a favor. But the book itself, you know, I had not watched... Um, Killing Lincoln, the video that you guys recommended and that Dave Taylor spoke about until I, you said, well, it has nothing to do with, oh, then I watched Killing Lincoln. Mm -hmm. I bought the DVD and watched it. And, you know, it turns out it was quite good and it was quite accurate with all those little things, special things that made it a delightful video. I, I jokingly told some of my friends that I can't wait for Bill O'Reilly's next book, Killing Big Bird, ghost written by Jim Henson, and we'll see. <laughs> and, and sometimes you get a stinker, um, like uh, Mark Tooley's book, uh, The Peace That Almost Was, which was about the Washington Peace Conference just before the Civil War. Mm -hmm. That book just drove me crazy with needless repetition and and vague references. And I learned that Winfield Scott was so fat he couldn't get on his horse at least four times during the book. <laughs> and then he would give you know addresses. Well, tell me what the address is. I don't care what the street. Where was the house located? Uh, don't you rem don't you know that we all know that uh, Salmon Chase would become the treasure of the United States, but we learned that at least four or five times. And then the premise of the book was the peace that uh, almost was. No, there was no way there was going to be a peace because none of the southern seceded states attended the conference. So there was no possibility of that conference uh, creating a peace between the seceded southern states and, and the northern states. And so he said it was like the forgotten story, and I kind of snarkily said, no, it wasn't a forgotten story, but it is a forgettable one. <laughs> and, and that book was a perfect example of how an earlier book written in 1961 by Gunderson, The Old Gentleman's Conference, that book, the newer one was not better than the older one. The older one is still the standard of the Washington Peace Conference. Oh, that's great. Um, Mary, you got a question? I don't really have a question because, um, you know, basically the ones I had have been addressed already, which is awesome. Um, I just want to say that I think, you know, flipping through this book, I think it's a book that needs to be more well-known in the Lincoln community. And I'm surprised it isn't because, um, and Tom, thank you for sending me a copy of it. Cause, and when I got it, I was like, why didn't I know about this? Um, and yeah, it just kind of gives me something to go to when I'm looking for, if I want to focus on something specific about Lincoln. Um, I also like that you've included the civil war in it too, because I think that's such an important part of who Lincoln was as a person. And it's nice to have those books to go to, as well. So just, I'm like Jeremy, I just want to say thank you. Well, I appreciate this. that. Uh, and we really worked hard. The, the, we call that chapter Collateral Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the chapter that provides the context. And sometimes it's just specific things that we liked and were interested in. Um, like, you know, had my uncle not been named Edward John Logan Pete, there wouldn't be a book on John Logan in there. And trying to track down uh, the long route that my great-great-grandfather, which was typical of so many soldiers in the Civil War, uh, my son and I took a trip in 2013, I think it was, where we tried to retrace his steps, and it was like 4,000 miles. 
So from Vicksburg, yeah, that that's a great story about Vicksburg because I love the Vicksburg battlefield and the Illinois Memorial is kind of like the Pennsylvania Memorial at Gettysburg. It's the yeah. biggest and most noteworthy memorial. And on the inside of the Vicksburg Memorial on bronze plates are the names of every single soldier from Illinois who fought at Vicksburg. Wow. And I, Alex goes running up the steps, and the number of steps on the Illinois Memorial are the number of days in the siege of Vicksburg by Grant. So Alex runs up in there, and he comes back, and he says, Dad, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what, they misspelled his last name? And he says, yep. And I said, I, it figures, because they misspelled his name when they mustered him in on August the 26th, 1862. And that's the only way you can get his records uh, from the government are by spelling his last name P-E-E-T-E. In spite oh, of every wow. other muster, every other muster roll has his name spelled correctly, but that one didn't. So, and Alex goes, no, they didn't misspell it that way. And I go, what? And so they misspelled it P-E-A-K-E. Not oh. even remotely <laughs> close so I ended up writing to the uh, Illinois archives, do something about this. Now they're not going to. I mean, I understand. but Until they hear our episode here. Yeah. Until they hear our episode where my great-great-grandfather's last name is misspelled on your memorial. It's a wonderful memorial, though, by the way. So when you get to Vicksburg, you won't miss it. And you'll also see what those Illinois soldiers did by charging uphill on May the 20th. Their commander was killed. Uh, the colonel of the 81st Illinois was killed in the charge, the failed charge to break the Confederate lines that day. Wow. So we stood there and looked, and it just gives you a whole new perspective of how brave these guys were. Yeah, I, uh, I took the family there this summer, and it was, it was quite moving, especially being in Illinois. And it was, it was pretty neat to see uh, that specific monument and the, you know, the mosaic of the Illinois seal on the, on the floor. and. Mm-hmm. Um, just a beautiful monument, and I think it's a really good one too as an example because, like, they they tell you how much uh, in 2019 dollars that particular memorial was, and it's pretty staggering. Yeah. Um, so it does kind of help people learn. Like, these weren't just like they just didn't throw up these monuments; they raised money from people because they felt that strongly about it. Mm. So that's that's very cool. Um, one thing that I like to do when I'm either thinking about looking into books or recommending them is um, I guess what I would call like an if you then you so like if you like this then you should check out that Mm -hmm. Um, so do you have any of those for like the really like the really really popular Lincoln books maybe like Team of Rivals or something like that so like if you like Team of Rivals then you should read like do you have a few of those for the ones that people may be really familiar with with something they may not be um well I I love Team of Rivals, and when I was the chairman of the Social Studies Department, the thing I would do every year was I bought a book of the year for every member of the department because I wanted them to read. And that year, it was Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Um, and the and, but there is this there there is this um, feeling I have about it, and that's that the historians I respect the most are those who stay with one topic and like Harold Holzer, who has written like 46 books on Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) I know he knows Abraham Lincoln and knows him backwards. Those are the historians I respect the most. What, what, with Doris Kearns Goodwin, I love everything she wrote. Absolutely. I have a copy of every single book that she's written. I like them all, but she is a history gadfly. And so what you find is if you read Team of Rivals, which I know gets the credit as the, as the background for uh, the movie Lincoln, uh, but it really doesn't. The movie Lincoln, the book you need to read if you want to understand the movie Lincoln well is Michael Vorenberg's Final Freedom. So I would take Team of Rivals, which was not the source in my opinion, and read uh, Final Freedom by Michael Vorenberg. Or, in the case of each of her biographies of Stanton and Chase and uh, Bates, go to a specific biography Mm -hmm. because what you'll find out is she's close on those biographies, but just not quite right. So Walter Starr is very good for Seward. He's also very good for for Stanton. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a couple of older biographies of Chase. You have to go back a while to get a good biography on Chase. Um, And uh, so that is the the jumping off point for for drilling down. my one of my very favorite uh, Lincoln books uh, is Harold Holzer's Lincoln at Cooper Union. I just love that book because it is, you know, it is so specific. It's it's an incident, and then you then you want to see, okay, um, was it really like that? Might lead you to um, the recent book uh, Lincoln's Last Trial, the trial mm-hmm. that made Lincoln president by Dan Abrams, which is a great read, except for the fact that he never really kind of connects the dots. I don't think that trial made, first of all, I don't think any trial made Lincoln president. Uh, I would have gone to the Almanac trial if I wanted to go with a famous trial. But most of the people outside Illinois had no idea of Lincoln the lawyer. And so there's no way that trial made him president and uh Abrams doesn't connect the dots, whereas the uh, the Holzer's Lincoln and Cooper Union, the speech that made him president, Holzer conclusively demonstrates that without that speech in New York City at that time, Lincoln would have never become president. So I'm trying to think what else are great jumping off points. Um, if If you read A. Lincoln by Ronald White, then ultimately you have to read Michael Burling, Games Abraham Lincoln, A Life, but it is a massive undertaking. Um, but I think, I think that is the um, definitive biography, the definitive multi-volume biography of Lincoln uh, for our generation. That said, I really like Sidney Blumenthal's series, uh, The Political Life of Abraham Lincoln, uh, is absolutely superb. I don't know whether it's going to end up being... Sidney told us, Alex and I, when we were talking with him, that it was going to be four volumes. But you never know. Maybe it's going to be five. But the most recent one, uh, there is no better series in print right now that gives you the context, the people, the political people and the political events that surrounded Abraham Lincoln, and he brilliantly puts them in context. So with Lyman Trumbull, the man that became senator in 1855, thanks to Lincoln throwing his votes over so that the Democrats would not gain uh, the Senate uh, seat at that time, Lyman Trumbull turned out to be a much better senator, one of the very few that had the capability of standing up to Stephen Douglas in the United States Senate and calling BS on him, not allowing the personal attacks, the use of the N-word, the black Republicans to distract Lyman Trumbull from this is the point you started with, and this is the point we're going to talk about and I'm going to hold you accountable for. So I I think Sidney Blumenthal's work is, is I, I when I first picked up the first one, I said, yawn. Not another biography <laughs> of Lincoln. Uh, and I was so wrong about that. So you learn so much about our history and the context of the time. Uh, well worth owning the whole set when everything is said and done. But not a replacement for uh, Lincoln a life. Being somebody who's read so much Lincoln uh, biographies, kind of what's your opinion and stance when it comes to historical fiction we've talked about kind of where we stand on it and how we think it'd be a great tool to gain interest it allows you to play around with like those gray areas a little bit um how do you kind of approach those books and what have been maybe some of the ones that stand out that you've really enjoyed well one that really surprised me and and you know this one very well was Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yeah, I love that one. <laughs> I had I got into that by we had a, a member of the science department kept coming up and asking me questions. Was this true about Lincoln? Is this true about Lincoln? And and is this true about Lincoln? And and, and I finally said, John, what are you reading? I said, and I would go, Yeah, that's that's pretty much correct. Yep, that's about right. Yep, that's about. He says, I'm reading Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter and i went oh really but then i read it and and i think it was absolutely brilliant in the way he mixes the real abraham lincoln with these plausible explanations of what happened to nancy hanks lincoln why was why was this there a gulf between abraham lincoln and his father thomas i just thought it was brilliant Uh, i thought the movie was terrible yeah uh 
if they'd have done the, the movie in the same way they did the book, it should have. I took my we, – we did what were called AP night at the movies. I would always – if there was a movie on government or, or a person, that, then I would take the class out to the movies at night and say, attending is optional. Uh, there are no points for attending. We're just going to go out and see a movie together like we saw The Hurricane, uh, The Contender. It was a great movie on government when I was a government teacher. We managed to get out and see it. Now I said, now, if you want to earn some bonus points, write me a Siskel and Ebert movie review, and you can get up to 10 bonus points for writing me a good review. And so they had to do something. Just attending the movie didn't get them bonus points, but writing me a really good review could get them 10 bonus points. And I got some really great reviews from the kids, and their analytical skills uh, surpassed mine in some cases, which you know I always thought was uh, amazing. I I loved working with. Uh, I worked with both ninth when a, as a uh, uh, department chair. I said I'm not going to ask any teacher to do anything I wouldn't do. So I took on ninth graders and I would teach ninth graders and seniors. So I'd train them as ninth graders so that I knew when I got them back as seniors, they knew we're going to work hard but have a lot of fun, and and they knew the rules. And I would say, look. Uh, I've got one classroom rule. I said, you're familiar. I said, would you like my list of rules? And, oh, yeah. I said, I said, there's one. I said, it's called do the right thing. And I had a the movie poster on my on one of my cabinets. And I said, <laughs> if I point to that, you know what I'm saying to you. That's do the, you're not doing the right thing. <laughs> I said, that's the only. So I, I said, if you over talk me, uh, that's disrespectful. That's not doing the right thing. If you uh, disagree uh, with someone and are not polite about it, that's not the right thing to do. If you're late to class, that's not the right thing. And so I, my principal said, you know, I asked all your kids, why did I never see you guys in the office? And they said, we didn't want to disappoint Dr. Pete. And so <laughs> you just set a, you set a standard, and it was a standard of mutual respect. And so I trained them as ninth graders. When I got them back as seniors, we just had phenomenal years together. So that was that was good. So I got them, set them up in the right frame of mind as ninth graders, and then when I got them back as seniors. It was wonderful. See, if awesome. I had that poster, Drew, all the kids would be pointing at it to me. <laughs> do the right thing. I'd be like, dang it, why did I ever do this? So everything you're saying is like, you know, I was a, I was a division chair of social studies for a while and taught freshmen and seniors and. Um, so how, how did you balance? Cause I always, when I started my career, I went into it because I wanted to become a United States history teacher and I didn't teach United States history for my first, probably four or five years, uh-huh. which I actually really, I actually really liked because it, like it, it still was mine, <laughs> you know, kind of. Yeah. Um, so being such a student of history, specifically a student of Lincoln, um, did you find that that, you know, it was always enriching for you as an educator or at times where you're like, man, I read all, I've read everything on Lincoln and also these adolescent <laughs> essays on Lincoln too, which is like, you know, tedious at times. Well, um, let me preface it by, I actually had two teaching careers at the same high school. For the first 17 years, I was the vocational auto mechanics teacher. So I taught auto shop. I taught my hobby for 17 years. And uh, so those kids knew I loved history. And what I would do is uh, teach uh, for those that were struggling in government. I would do an independent study in government, an independent study in U.S. history, quite separate from teaching them automotive mechanics and to help them get through. And those kids always appreciated it. So I have one set of kids for 17 years that can't that can can a little bit imagine me being uh, a history teacher. But then I got another 20 years worth of kids when I transitioned into the social studies department that can't possibly imagine that I taught auto shop kids, but they have no idea how much better a teacher that made me because I could deal with almost any kid and you just don't let things that go wrong in the classroom shake you. So it just I would just let it run over me and say, okay, let's calm down. Let's take a look. Let's deal with the situation and remember that we need to respect each other. And so it was pretty easy to diffuse. So, um, so, you know, reading history essays, if I saw a student that was making great gains or getting great insight into Lincoln or into the Civil War, that was very, even though it might be at a, at a very low level, 
that was a good place to start, and I could encourage them to keep reading and developing their their theories and their thoughts and their perspectives so that sometime many years later they would indeed be a Lincoln Scholar in their own right. you got to be one of maybe the only I've ever heard go from auto automotive <laughs> to history. Yeah. So that's that's, well, really that's cool. impressive. One, I taught my hobby. The other taught what I really have loved all of my life. So, And I would tell the kids, look, you're in my class. I'm a history geek. I freely admit it. I eat, sleep, dream, politics, and history. So just get over it. That's what we're going to do. And uh, they did. And we would, we, I would say, look, every year I work with students. Uh, I'm not going to be the same teacher I was at the beginning, and you're not going to be the same students you were at the at the beginning, we're going to go on a journey together, uh, class by class, and we will both grow together. And uh, that always that always worked. No, that's great. I, sounds like you had it down. So um, I'm still trying to get there. <laughs> you will. You know, I would tell people that uh, you know, uh, and no no slam on administrators, Jeremy, oh, but um, I would say you. I would tell them that. I didn't expect you to become a master teacher until you've been teaching for 10 years because everybody can have a brilliant one year. But it's when you replicate that year after year after year that I know that I have a master teacher on my hands. And that that and I let them know, look, I got your back. And, you know, as long as you're doing the right thing, that I will be there to defend you. And, in fact, I was... Uh, union rep in our school for 35 of my 37 years so and the principals most of them got it and i would say look this isn't about wrongs nobody supports a teacher doing the wrong thing but it is about rights and that's everybody's entitled to due process mm-hmm. and so i won't defend things that a teacher did that were wrong but they do need to have a fair hearing and i will defend that so and when most principals will say you know what that's a pretty fair place to be I agree. Yeah. Can I call you up when I need a BR? <laughs> well, we have one teacher at Westerville North, that, and he's a great guy, and I love. And he has this fabulous way of uh, dressing in uniforms. He has a costume for just about everything, but he also got himself in trouble almost every year. So we would say, it, uh, not to be he who must not be named, uh, that uh, it's been a good year because I wasn't in the office defending you. <laughs> No, that's good. I've only had to bring a BR once. Yeah. Maybe twice. Maybe should have maybe brought it twice. Um, so far, so far. So yeah. um, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Yeah. Nick um, also swore in a meeting today. So, <laughs> But we don't care about that, but he did. Yeah. Well, it happens. I, I used to get in trouble because um, when, when this whole testing regimen came in, I think that it doesn't allow a teacher to be unique and to, you know, I, I kept telling her principal, look, this is the information is from A to B. I said, I don't care how a teacher gets there. Uh, if they want to address it thematically, I'm good with that. If they want to address it chronologically, I'm good with that. If they've come up with some other brilliant way of, of inspiring children, that's what I'm all about. But I don't want every teacher in my department doing the same thing on the same day because that way, that way I know that you're not addressing the needs of the kids because every class is different and every class is going to go at a different speed. And you got to be able to adjust to that and you got to be able to inspire kids. And this whole data regimen does everything but inspire kids. Dude, uh, I'm going to play that for some of my department members when they're yelling at me for being behind Uh, (laughs) what are some of the hidden treasures that are in this book that maybe people haven't come across that are Uh, unique maybe um just maybe newer older um there are some that i really they're the hidden treasures i i've kind of listed 10 that i think are my hidden treasures uh, one is by John McKee Barr, and it's called Loathing Lincoln. And it is hands down one of the top ten books on Lincoln I've ever read. And it puts everything in perspective on how there's always been people, uh, particularly neo-Confederates and Southerners, uh, that have a tradition of just absolutely disrespecting Lincoln then and now. Uh, fabulous book. 
uh, a book by Joseph Fornieri called uh, Abraham Lincoln Philosopher Statesman. Just as brilliant in the way that we know that Abraham Lincoln didn't read any. We know that Abraham Lincoln did not read widely, but he did read what he read very deeply. And there's no evidence that he wrote, uh, read any Greek, any of the Greek scholars whatsoever, although I'm certain he, that he was aware of them. But yet Fournieri in that book demonstrates that, that Lincoln absolutely lived by the best principles of the Greek philosophers. It's, it's just a, a wonderful book. Uh, I've already talked about Harold Holzer's Lincoln at Cooper Union and Michael Vorenberg's Final Freedom. Uh, there's another one by Doug Edgerton called The Wars of Reconstruction. And that is uh, a very uplifting and depressing book all at the same time as to uh, what possibilities existed after the Civil War for African-American civil rights and civil liberties and how it was just shattered. Um, William Barton, this one goes back to uh, 1921. Uh, it's called The Soul of Abraham Lincoln. And, and it looks, it is the most fair and balanced and thoughtful look on, it starts out with the premise is, was Lincoln a Christian? And and this is a this guy as if, if you read it is uniquely qualified. He was a minister, so you'd think he might be prejudiced to proving, and he absolutely isn't. But at the end of the book, he says, "Well, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, uh, it's a duck." And so he <laughs> concludes that although Lincoln was not a Christian in the official sense and probably not even baptized, it didn't matter. This is how he acted, and. And he, and he says there are all sorts of things that, that Barton concludes he wasn't. He wasn't a Unitarian. He wasn't a, uh, a Catholic. He wasn't uh, a Freemason. And he, all the things that people have tried to, the molds that they've tried to force Lincoln into, uh, Burton says, nope, not true, and here's why. Just a fabulous book. Um, I like both Ed Steer's Blood on the Moon and uh, Michael Kaufman's American Brutus on uh, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Those are both good. And I freely admit that when Alex and I went to do the John Wilkes Booth escape tour, mm -hmm. I was disappointed that we didn't get Michael Kaufman because sometimes he leads it, but we oh. got David Taylor instead. All right. <laughs> and by the end of the day, I was thinking, I don't care who Michael Kaufman is. I'm so happy to be on this bus with mm -hmm. David Taylor because he was exactly the right guy to be leading that tour. Just And it was a marvelous, marvelous experience. Um, on the Gettysburg Address... Uh, the best book there, in my opinion, is Martin Johnson's writing the Gettysburg Address. And that's how you learn about why there are five different copies, what Lincoln probably read off of uh, when he delivered the Gettysburg Address on November the 19th, 1863, was probably the Nicolay copy. Because the first half was written on executive mansion paper, and the second half was written on, on lined paper. So it's clear that part of it was written in Washington, D.C. Then he went on the train, wrote nothing on the train, unlike the myth that exists, mm -hmm. and finished it in the, in the Wills uh, residence at Gettysburg. Um, and then uh, Gregory Coco's book called A Strange and Blighted Land, which is about how awful it was uh, in Gettysburg after the battle had been fought, dealing with the wounded, dealing with at least 5,000 dead horses and thousands of other dead animals and thousands of, of dead and dying men. Uh, just a brilliant, brilliant book. It gives you a whole different perspective. So much like a medieval city in Europe could be smelled miles before you got to it, uh, that was true of Gettysburg. After the for months, you could smell Gettysburg for miles before you got to it. It was that awful. So those are some of the books that I think are special books that everybody should pick up and and take a look at. And not all of them are strictly about Lincoln. Coco's is about the Battle of Gettysburg itself and uh, a unique work. Well, I think any list of books about Lincoln should include a few that are about the Civil War because yes, it, it's a huge part of um, who he was as a person. Even though it was just like it, you know five years of his life, it still it's is, the context. Yeah, exactly. And if we don't have that context, 
uh, would Lincoln have be considered a great president? I, he was a, he was always a great man, but what and he got better as he he made a lot of mistakes as a young person. And he free, you know, the the initial authors were saying, "Oh, what a perfect life he lived! All in preparation mm-hmm. to become president." That's just baloney. Mm-hmm. Um, he made he he made a lot of wrong turns, like all of us have made in our lives, and and learn from them. And uh, speaking of learning from things, I loved your episode on uh, Ann Rutledge and Mary mm-hmm. Owen. And my two cents worth on it is, I think he was in love. With Anne Rutledge, yay! And, and I you. think I think it killed him to lose her because that, that was his first great love, and I think I think the uh, somewhat questionable uh, comment he made later in his life, you know, I've always loved her. She she was my. I think was probably true. I don't think that's not to say that he didn't love Mary. I think mm-hmm. he loved Mary, and I absolutely believe that without Mary Lincoln, Abraham would never have become president. I think if he settles down with Ann Rutledge and has a happy, blissful life, he still is an ambitious man, but he'll never become president of the United States. Yeah. It's Mary that saw in him presidential timber, mm-hmm. and she absolutely was his partner. Now, there are things about Mary that I'm not too thrilled about, but uh, I do think overall she's gotten a bad rap from mm-hmm. historians. And that's another book that you guys brought up. Uh, what is it? Northern, Southern Woman, Northern. Wait a minute. Yeah. Southern, uh, Southern girl, girl, Northern woman, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that was. And Catherine Clinton uh, essentially came to much the same conclusion. And uh, it's Catherine Clinton at the Lincoln Forum, which let me put in a plug for the Lincoln Forum, which is a week from beginning, a week from Saturday, that uh, Catherine Clinton said it was not and never Mary Todd Lincoln. Sorry, Jeremy. It yeah. was always Mrs. Lincoln <laughs> yep. or Mary Lincoln, and and that's the way it was. Mm-hmm. I like the way you set poor Jeremy up that one episode to oh, take yeah. the fall. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I just volunteered. I'm like, this This will be good for everyone if, if one of us just does it this way. <laughs> and if you look at my book carefully, you will see that I use Mary. I have not taken out all the Mary Todd Lincoln references yet. And I need. And in fact, Jean Baker, one of her, her book, her biography is called Mary Todd Lincoln. Yeah. So... So let's say I'm about to write a Lincoln book, and I'm like, I come to you, what area of Lincoln has not been explored? Is there any area that you have or you've ever thought, man, we really need a book on this? Or has everything been covered? I think it's often minutia now. And uh, occasionally, you know, just like, you know, they go trial by trial, like the Almanac trial and the... um, uh, the 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 murder trial. Um, I think that uh, I can't think of anything major that's out there that somebody hasn't explored at least a little bit. Um, so I can't think of anything offhand. I, I mean, you could do something really silly like uh, Lincoln the inventor and go into that whole pontoon thing where he's the only president that has a patent. I don't think anybody's written at length on that. But I think that would not be a very good book. <laughs> Getting Over the Sandbar by Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good title. Yeah, the best part of the book was the title. It was all downhill from there. <laughs> yes, it would be. Uh, he led such a fascinating life. Um, and uh, what a uh, – you might – you know, I, I kind of wonder that there were times when Abraham Lincoln was under such stress – that he didn't react in the magnanimous, gener- generous way that we often think of him. And I think that might deserve a little bit of exploration sometime because he wasn't superhuman. And uh, he could get tired and just worn down uh, by all the people always asking him for something. And he, and he knew that he had nothing to give most of the time. And yet he still subjected himself to those public baths, as he called them. Mm-hmm. That might be worth uh, some psychologist who has a real background in that uh, taking a look at, well, what type of personality can handle that and what does it really say? No, that's great. Um, Before we transition to our closing segments here, 
Where can our listeners pick up a copy of this fantastic resource? <laughs> uh, easily on Amazon.com, and all you do is uh, type in Reading Lincoln Pete, P-E-E-T, and you will get all three versions. Our first version, because the, uh, it's print-on-demand, so you can get the shortest one, you can get the second edition, and you can also get the third edition. Uh, and I think I've got the second and third in Kindle format for those that would like to put, but it never looks as good in Kindle. And, uh, uh, and some of the little things, we have our little vignettes at the end of every chapter called Lincoln Littles, where we try and find, you know, bring out lesser known things about Abraham Lincoln that you might not have thought of, such as what's the largest Lincoln monument in the United States? Well, it's not the Daniel French Chester statue in the Lincoln Memorial. It's not Abraham Lincoln on Mount Rushmore. It's U.S. Route 30, the Lincoln Highway, that's 3,000 miles from New York City to, I think, San Francisco. Nice. So you heard it here. You know a Lincoln van? Uh, you got a Christmas item right there. Go jump on Amazon and uh, pick it up for them. Now, I know you came prepared for... One segment here at then, or for both? I can do Lincoln News, and I can also do a social media shout-out. All right, let's go. What do you got for Lincoln News? Uh, the Lincoln News is kind of a sad thing in that the author, Rodney O. Davis, who uh, wrote a was at least a co-author on uh, the Herndon's Informants with uh, uh, Douglas Wilson, and he did his own on the Lincoln-Douglas debates and was a professor at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, So, and the uh, co-coordinator of the Lincoln Studies at Knox College. Uh, Rodney Davis passed uh, Tuesday, Tuesday morning, uh, November the 5th. He, he will, he, he's a good writer, a thoughtful writer, and uh, he will be missed. Well, Dr. P, being a former high school teacher, this won't be the first time you've heard this, but uh, you took mine. Like, that was... You know, when two kids raise their hand and one kid, yeah, he took mine. Well, I, I was going to mention that as well. So, um, but yeah, that was, uh, and I, I'll be, I, I, I did not know who uh, Rodney Dix was. And I was in reading some obituaries and definitely um, am interested now just kind of take a look at some of his work. So, um, Hern, Herndon's Informants is the single best book on understanding the Herndon interviews that he and their reliability. Uh, that that Herndon conducted after Lincoln's assassination. That is the go-to book on determining the reliability of a source. Outstanding. And then you got a you got a sh- social media shout out, huh? I do to uh, David Weegers. I think it's W I E G E R S. I think if it's yeah. pronounced the way that my one of my high school colleagues was had the same spelling, I think that's the way it's pronounced. Uh, I love he is, is the go to guy on Lincoln statues. Mm-hmm. Hands down, you put a picture of a statue up there, and David can tell you. Who does who who cre- who sculpted it? Who created it? And where it's located, and, and what it represents. And to me, that's been so helpful sometimes. And because I use some pictures in my book, and uh, to see that he absolutely knows what it is, why it's important. I think so. So, David, thank you very much. No, that's outstanding stuff. We are about to hit the hour mark. And I know I kept you waiting for 20, 25 minutes because I dropped the ball on technology, everybody. Karma for making fun of Boyce for the first 50 episodes. Came back and bit me in the ass uh, tonight. So we want to be generous of your time, but we want to thank you so much. First of all, thank you for sending each of us a book. Thank Thank you for taking time out of your night to talk about the book. And and when I say this, this thing is a must-have if you're a Lincoln fan. It is outstanding. Um, this is quite the work. And, heck, it's still a living book uh, based on what you told us tonight. So thank you again so much. Uh, Boyce and Mary, you have anything to add? No, just uh, thank you uh, for, for your work. And, uh, yeah, I, I would just uh, second everything Nick just said. Yeah, and same for me. Thank you so much for being a guest with us, Tom. Thank you for the book. And just thank you for this amazing contribution to uh, – the world of Lincoln. I think it's something that anybody who studies Lincoln needs to have as part of their Lincoln library. 
Well, thank you so much. And the next time you three get together in Springfield, I will try very hard to be there. I was I couldn't be there because David was ta- co-author was taking me down to Ohio University. That we watch a football game there once a year, even though. I am Ohio State through and through. Yes, go Buckeyes. Um, yeah, go Bucks. You're right. Uh, and then that Sunday, I was teaching a, a Sunday school class on Americans to Americans, uh, farewell messages that instruct us in our faith and values and actions. And I was teaching Lincoln's farewell address to, at Springfield, as well as his second inaugural address, which was the Great Sermon, uh, and comparing it to our contemporary uh, situation and how lacking we are in those fundamental values and actions and beliefs. No. Here, here. Mm-hmm. Perfect way to end the show. Yep. So, Rail Split Nash, uh, thanks for joining in again. Make sure to get the book and remember with Miles Towards None and with Charity for All. <laughs>